I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the kind of an intro, and then I'll pray, because in the prayer, I'm going to ask you to participate in it, not out loud. Uh, but this particular passage is one of those, um, some, of those some of the people that were here and didn't like it. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you something. Um, there's an existentialist philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. Now, the existentialist philosophers were kind of, it's kind of a big movement or thought, uh, worldview, uh, mid-20th century, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard was one of, the, one of the best of the existentialists, and then he came to faith. And so, to, to give you an idea of what existentialism was about, um, there's a guy named, there's a couple of them. Jean-Paul Sartre is, is very well known. It's a guy that wrote a book called Nausea. I mean, that kind of tells you what your worldview is. <laughs> right? They, they were really good at seeing the depravity of humanity and the meaninglessness of life. I, they, they, they were so good at calling out the, the hopelessness of the human condition, but they had no answers to give, which is often what we find in philosophy, that really good at calling into question, and that's something that we need. But, there, but if there's not an answer that satisfies, if not something that changes the heart and the soul, um, then something's missing. So Soren Kierkegaard was so good at this. It's not that different than our culture right now. We don't have an, we have more of a nihilistic um, worldview that, that every Things meaningless, so do whatever. And the, but the other thing we do is we always find the problem that someone else that believes something different than we do, we're going to point it out and we're going to condemn them and then we're going to be afraid of them. And we trade the commodity of fear on the television and everywhere else. And it's all about outrage and how terrible you are. And everyone it used to be that we can disagree and you, you're a good guy, I'm a good guy, we disagree. Now it's we disagree, you must be evil. It's not that different than how it was when Soren Kierkegaard was, was talking about the human condition. But this is what he said. After he came to faith, a man who knows hope and who knows hopelessness very well, he said there's two types of people in the world. Sinners who think they're righteous and the righteous who know that they're sinners. And the Reformed tradition for 500 years has been beat up pretty bad for being a, a, a tradition of worm theology. Of, of oh, we're, we're, we're big on sin, not great on grace. You're like, oh, I'm terrible at everything I do. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor, and everything is perverted by the total depravity of humanity. I can't do anything good. Everything is ignoble. Everything messes up. Okay, then, then there's some fair criticism there. But if grace is getting what you don't deserve, recognizing the fact that I don't deserve it probably is not a bad idea. That's what this passage is about. Jesus is talking about one person who thinks he's got it all together and another who knows he doesn't. And the one that Jesus lifts up is not the one who lifts himself up. So I'm going to ask you going in, and I'm going to pray for my own calming because I, I finished up four minutes ago in there. And I'm walking in here, and I don't want it to be adrenaline-fed. I want it to be spirit-led. So I'm going to pray that God's message for us. But in the middle of that, you'll hear me pray for God to show me which one of these people I'm most like. Am I a sinner who thinks I'm righteous? Or am I righteous because I know that I'm a sinner? We'll talk more about that. This isn't big on sin and low on grace. It's actually, this passage is huge on grace. He cares so much about someone who thinks he doesn't need it that he's calling them out. So in this prayer, there'll be about 10 seconds of pause for you to ask God to pierce your heart. It's up to you. I know that when my mother used to have, who do you think you are, young man? I'm your mother. You don't get to talk to me like that. 
treant, T-R-E-E-A-N-T. Sorry if you're watching. I'm sorry. I'm just playing. I didn't want to hear it, and I kind of got mouthy quite often. But I always felt going, I always left going, yeah, I'm a jerk. She didn't think I'm a jerk. She's just telling me she has something to teach me and something I needed to learn. And whether I wanted to hear it or not was up to me. If your heavenly father has something to tell you, even if it's something that pierces your heart, don't you want to hear it? No, but shouldn't you? All right, let's pray. Almighty God, you're God, we're not. And Lord, I'm asking for me that you call me down that you give me your demeanor, your cadence, your pace, your heart for your people. Lord, this isn't my message for them. It's your message for us. So Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see as you give that to everyone else in the room. And Lord, I'm asking for the humility to stand in front of people on your behalf to speak your words. There's audacity in it, but Lord, the humility. And Lord, I'm asking too that if there's part of me that's this Pharisee, convict me of it. And Lord, I ask that you show us the mercy with everyone in the room as they ask you for the same thing to convict us. I'm asking for the mercy of of hearing our prayer. I know it feels weird, but I'm not going to say amen because that feels like we're closing the connection. So you can look up anytime you're ready. Some who were confident in their own righteousness looked down uh, and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything or of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified or made right before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson. It's short. But the word humble and the word humiliate in the English language comes from the same Greek root. I don't ever pronounce my Greek words very well, but humus. H-U-M, kind of weird A-S. Kind of a weird A. It means topsoil. And it's planting season. You know what it's like. You go out there. If you're an overseeder, you overseed your lawn because you're Dutch. And you can still see the stripes from last year. You know that if, you, if you're going to overseed, you don't do it yet. Not if you want the crabgrass to stop. You know, if you put down the pre-emergent, the thing that keeps the germination from happening. You're, you're actually telling the soil, don't do what you're made to do. 
Topsoil, what it does, I mean, if you're composting or if you're going to plant some plants and, and you're, 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 the salt that came from when your sidewalks and all that kind of stuff, you, you know you got to get some of that peat moss stuff or you get, get some miracle growing there. You have to change the acidity of the soil so that it will do what you want it to do. And we all know that in West Michigan we have sandy, sandy, sandy soil. And so it doesn't hold the water real well. So what do we do when we put a new lawn in? We bring in topsoil mixed with clay. We bring in hummus and clay and we put it, hummus, and we put it all in there so it'll hold the moisture. We know what topsoil so it is when Jesus talks about the, um, the, the parable of the sower and the seed, you know, that some falls on the rocky ground. There's topsoil, but it would really have to be broken up. So are the path, some on the rocky soil, some on the thistles and the weeds, and some on fertile soil. He's talking about when he says that if you humble yourself, you become like fertile soil. When Jesus, in John chapter 15, when he says these words, I am the vine, my father is the gardener, you are the branches, and any branch that doesn't, that doesn't bear fruit will be cut off, and it will be thrown into the fire and burned. We hear that, and we're like, ah, is he talking about hell? No, he's talking about something that's not productive, it actually sucks the energy out of the rest so that the, the whole vine can't be as productive. And you cut it off, you throw it into the fire, it burns up, it becomes charcoal, becomes ash, and you put that back into the topsoil and it, it fertilizes the topsoil. So when we're told to be humble, we're to become like topsoil. But here's the thing, folks, every one of us one day will have an opportunity to face the Lord. Every one of us one day will come face to face with him. These people were face to face with him in the flesh. And he says to some of, the, some, of the, some of these people who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on others, he's saying, listen to me. Because he loves them so much and he's going to the cross in just a week or two, he's getting one more shot to tell them what they need to hear. And he's telling them, if you think you're all that, you're not. Humble yourself, become like topsoil, because the alternative is to be humiliated. Every one of us, Scripture tells us that, that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality, but got something to be held on to. And he took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He humbled himself. God became like topsoil. He humbled himself. At his name, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bend. You've heard me ask this before, but folks, which is better to bend your knee and your will to God voluntarily now or to be forced to your knees later? One is humbling yourself. The other is being humbled. One is becoming like topsoil. The other is like having topsoil thrown all over you. See, every one of us, when we meet the Lord, and every one of us will, we have an option to come to him saying, look what I've done, Lord. That's the Pharisee. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men, these robbers, these th adulterers, and like this tax collector. I give every, I give a tenth, and I fast twice a week. I'm, you're lucky to have me on your team. You think God feels lucky to have someone like him on his team? But don't we sometimes treat, don't we sometimes kind of have that idea that God's kind of lucky to have us on it, like he owes us something? I know you'd never say it, but don't we sometimes become like this guy? See, it starts off with those confident in their righteousness. Now, let's think about that. Confident in your own righteousness and looking down on other people. No, righteousness in the reform, from the reform perspective is to be undyingly, unwaveringly faithful to the covenant that God established with his people. 
I will be your God, you will be my people. And folks, I'm not ever going to mess it up, says God. And here's how you be faithful. Don't ever mess it up. Which of us would stand before God and go, nailed it. Never missed it. I'm standing on my record. I have two people that I knew in my former charge that would not receive the grace that God gave them. They believe that it's about works. It's about how good they are. And they've both gone to meet the Lord. And I'm scared to death that I won't see them in eternity because they did not humble themselves and realize that it's not about the works they do for him, it's about the works he does in and through them. It can become insidious. We don't always recognize it. When you pray, is it full of I and me? I have friends that are salespeople, and when they see a deal that's about to fall apart, they start going to church. And they start giving money. And they start praying every morning and sometimes twice a day. They have their quiet time with the Lord. They realize that it depends on him. And then the deal doesn't come through. And they're like, why, Lord? I was doing everything right. Now, none of us would say those words out loud. But some of us behave that way. Or maybe you look and you see you have some friends that you were were Christians together when you were younger. And they've kind of gone astray. And you look at them and you kind of like, we all kind of know what happened there. You think of yourself more highly than you ought. Or who doesn't want their kids to hang out with the right kind of kids that come from good families? And even as, it's a word I hate, but even as Christians in Western Michigan, we all know what a good Christian looks like. There's the sins that you can commit as long as you don't tell anybody. There's the ones that we can judge. We just don't want anyone to know it. We'll call it a prayer request. I have a prayer request to share with you. That, and, and we gossip too with that. And there's the, there's the sins that we know you just stay away from. I mean, those are vocal. Those are, those are out there. Everybody sees those and everyone's going to judge me if I do those things. But look, I do the right stuff. I hang out with the right people. I have the right kind of vehicles. I don't take overly extravagant vacations. And I, I give my, my, my reformed dollar in the plate every now and then. It's, you know, that's enough for the $2.6 million budget or whatever it is. Just a joke. It used to be a Christian reformed dollar or a quarter. But we think that we do these, these right things and God owes us. He owes us nothing. That's the point. There's no good deed that you can do to appease the God of the universe who's perfect? To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on others, Jesus told this parable. Two people went to pray. One thanked God that he's not like others. And he had his list of things. He's, God, you are lucky to have me on your team. It's, it, those of you old enough, he thought of himself as Reggie Jackson. Mr. October. Those of you, look, Google it. You'll find him. Trust me. Every October when the playoffs came, I mean, Reggie Jackson's a guy you want on your team. He will strike out eight out of ten times, but he's going to jack two of them because he's swinging for the fence. He was Mr. October. He was the guy that you want on your team, and he knew it, and he demanded the salary for it. He was Mr. October. Are you that way with God? Like, you are lucky to have me on your team. I am so gifted. Hashtag blessed. 
You see what we do? We make it so God works for us. But he's saying that the tax collector, I got nothing, God. I got nothing. Just show me mercy. Don't give me what I have coming to me. That man humbles himself. And so God lifts him up. Thank you that I'm not like those people. He lifts himself up. And he's going to be forced to his knees. Which one are you? Not which one should you be. Which one are you? See, March 29, 1989, so two days ago, 30 years back. And I'm telling you this story. I've told you before. It won't be long, but I want to, I want to have another twist on it. But I made a vow to God that every year about this time, I'm going to remember what he did. I was in a van between Rensselaer, Indiana, and West Lafayette, Indiana, on I-65, and the driver of the van lost control of the van, the van rolled over. Now, me and uh, 10 other people in the van, most of them high school students, there were three adults, I had put my hand up on top, it rolled over onto me, and then onto the, onto the um, roof. And as that happened, the windshield buckled and blew into my arm. And it shredded two nerves, all the meat in there, and you can look up on the screen here, you might be able to see it. There's a scar from here to here, but it shredded the artery. And 32 minutes later, as I'm laying on the side of the road bleeding out, the ambulance showed up. Now, there's this guy named Scott. I have no idea what his last name is. He was an EMT. He got off the side of the road. Or he was all backed up, and he went to see what was wrong, and there's me bleeding out. There was a nursing student from the Hope Calvin, um, Hope Calvin pro nursing program and a nursing student from Grand Valley that happened to be on I-65 around spring break time. And they all stopped. And they intervened, intervened. They tourniqueted my arm. It was tourniqueted for over an hour and a half. The fact that I have any arm is phenomenal. It's miraculous. And then when the ambulance finally showed up, they had to put these mass trousers on me. They don't think they use them anymore, but it pushes all the blood from down there up into here um, to save the organs. And I remember being really cold, and I remember being really sleepy. And I said to Scott, the EMT that had tourniqueted my arm, I said, I'm, I'm just going to close my eyes. He go, and he slaps me, and he says, if you go to sleep, you won't wake back up. I just thought I was sleepy. I'm going to die. Now, when they were working on me, if they would have taken a rag, and someone who has influenza, if they would have spit on the rag, and then rubbed it around in the mud, and then put that rag on my arm to make it better, isn't it going to do more harm than good? That's what Jesus says about our, that's what the scripture says about our righteous deeds when we think we're all that. Your righteous deeds are but dirty rags. But what happened that day is that I would not be married to that woman right there, right next to Tim, not the other one. <laughs> if I had died and neither of my children would have ever existed, I wouldn't know any of you. And you might see it. Wait a minute, let's go back 30 years. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm a little weird. I, got, I get it. But the 300-some children that I got to officiate their baptism, they still would have been baptized. And Jesus still would have led the people that I've had the fruitfulness to lead to the Lord. He still would have led them to the Lord. But I would not have lived beyond March 29, 1989, if other people had not intervened to make it so I don't die. That was Good Friday, 1989. On Easter Sunday, which is 30 years ago today, 
we found out, we were pre intervention, surgery, surgery, blood's coming back up, blood pressure's coming back up. We were reasonably certain that I would make it. And I've got problem with a hand that gets cold and I can't shake with. That's, that's the real terrible thing that came out of it. But I would have died if they didn't intervene and get my blood all over them to save my life. The Pharisee would have been laying on the ground, bleeding out and saying, I don't need your help, I got this. The tax collector says, I got nothing, help. They didn't die for me, but they did intervene to save my life. You have a God. This is why I say this is high in grace, not high in sin. You have a God that not only intervenes so that you don't die, he dies instead of you. Here's the weird thing. We think that we're we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And the scripture's real clear. It says, look, don't think of yourself more highly. Do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, humbling yourself, being like topsoil. Consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others, right? That's the scriptures. When we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we're actually committing the original sin. When the, when the serpent came to them and, well, no, we're not going to eat that. We'll die. Oh, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. Oh, well then I'm going to be in charge of others. When we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, when we think of ourselves as better than others, we're saying I'm God over someone else. No, that's not what we're saying with our minds, but that's what we're saying with our behavior. We lord it over another. So when we, here, here's, here's the Here's the contradiction in this, and it's so beautiful. I hope that I can communicate it accurately. When we think of ourselves more highly than we ought, we're actually thinking of ourselves so much lower than we actually are because you are an heir to the throne and the kingdom of God. You are entitled to everything that he's given you. you everything that Jesus has you're, is yours. You get to inherit eternity. Why would I think that I've done something to deserve that? Right after this, there's this man that comes up and he says, what must I do? Good teacher, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone, says Jesus. I think he's calling him out. And the guy goes, um, what, should, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? If I go home today and I get a, a call from a lawyer that says your long lost Aunt Betty, I don't think I have an Aunt Betty, She's, she died, she has no heirs, and you're the first heir in all the family line that we could possibly track down. Are you this person? Is this your social security number? Do you come from this town? Da, da, da. Yes, yes, yes. She left you $750,000. What did I do? No, this didn't happen, okay? Nor is it gonna, because I, I don't have anyone like that in my family ever. Um, what did I do in order to inherit the accident of who I was born to. That's it. And if I'm blessed enough to grow up, to grow old, and I have grandchildren, and I have enough, my goal is to when I die, it's zero, the bank account is zero and the debt is zero. I win. If I don't owe anything, I got enough to pay for my funeral. But if I'm blessed enough, and, I, and my, when I have grandkids that don't exist yet, if I'm, maybe my mind will change and I want to leave something to them. What did they do to get that which I earned, banked, and saved? They were loved. 
There's nothing you can do to inherit that which has already been given to you. You can't earn a gift. You can't make God love you. He already does. So instead of what must I do to appease God, Lord, what do you have that you would like me to, what is it that you would have for me to do? Instead of telling God what he needs to do for you, have an attitude of, Lord, I got nothing, but you've given me everything. What is it that you would have me do for you? Because if you're going to do it for him, you're doing it, he's doing it through you. So folks, which one are you? Not which one should you be? Are you the sinner who thinks they're righteous? Or are you the righteous who knows you're sinner? Are you, look what I've done, Lord? Or are you, Lord, I got nothing? But you've done everything. If there's a piece in you that hears that and goes, ouch. Praise God, that's a great place to be because that means you've been thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but that actually means that you think of yourself much more lowly than God does. You're an heir you're a much beloved child. Everything he has is yours at his expense, no cost to you. And if you're one of those people going, ah, you know what, Trent? I know you're supposed to say that. That's what the pastor says. And you know, I think you want a little bit, you know, talked a little bit too little, but um, I got this. I'm really scared for you. Jesus says it. Woe to you, you Pharisees. And teachers of the law, you cross the sea to win a single convert. And then you bring them back and make them twice the son of hell, you brood of vipers. Those are the people that thought they had it, that they were all that, that they had it figured out. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Humble yourself in God's sight and receive everything. Exalt yourself in God's sight and miss everything. Which one are you? Let's pray. Lord, you're almighty, and I'm certainly not. I would not want to be in the world that I was God over. Because I want to justify myself instead of having you justify me. Lord, if there's anything that it feels right now to me that I faithfully communicated that which you wanted me to communicate, but if there's something... Lord, that was not of you, convict me of it and call me to repentance. But Lord, if there's something that was said that went out to your people that you, that, that you don't want them to hear, wipe it from their memory. Show them the grace and the mercy to not pervert your word with my mistake. And Lord, I ask that you give each of us the courage to ask you to, to search our hearts, oh God. And when we feel that stick that, 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 that sharp spot. Remind us that that is good because it tells us that we're selling out for something small instead of bending our knee and our will to something huge, the God of the universe. Help us be the tax collector and not the Pharisee. We pray this in Jesus' name, not our own, through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father and not our own. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Jesus makes it real clear. 
If you want to save your life, lose it. If you try to hold on to it, it's going to be taken from you. Look, everything that God has, he gives to you. But if you think you earn it or you deserve it, you miss out on all of it. It's that simple. And it's so hard to do because we're pre-programmed to think that we get what we deserve and how great it is that we don't. So remember that God blesses you and he keeps you and he makes his face shine on you. He's gracious to you. God gives you his face and turns his countenance for you. He smiles at you and he gives you peace. If you want the peace that God gives, say amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.